Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Wow. What an amazing time of worship and baptism and celebration and excitement. Let's just praise the Lord for what He's done so far already this morning. I pray that I can hold up to the standard we've set this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are so beautiful in ways that we'll never fully understand. When we'll never fully comprehend, Father, this side of eternity, your, your, your full glory and grace. But, Father, we, we sing to you with, with words as best we know how to convey, Lord, our love for you and, and our desire to know you more. Father, I pray you, you are honored by that. I pray you are honored by our baptism, Father, and, and the excitement of what's happening in our church and, and the missions opportunities and the safe families, Father, and all the things you're doing. We, we do all those things, Lord, so that you can receive glory. And Father, I pray for our time now as we open the truth of your word. Lord, I pray you would just speak very clearly to us. Lord, I pray you would just set me aside, Lord, and, and my personal desires and my personal thoughts. And, and I pray that we would just hear from you and from your word and you would speak to the very depths of our hearts, challenging us, Lord, to be more than we are now challenging us to do more than we've ever done challenging us father to to love regardless of what it costs and then lord when we do that we want to impact your kingdom we want you to use us to do great things we're going to praise your name for everything that you do father allow us the opportunity this morning as we hear from your word for the spirit to speak to us father may we be transformed again and again, more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We are continuing our series this morning. We've entitled Faith in Action. It's a study through the letter of James. And we've entitled it Faith in Action because James is extremely practical. James is going to challenge you to take your faith and put it into action. And I've said this every week and I'm going to say it again, but I just want you to hear this. Christianity is not passive. (laughs) The Lord expects and requires certain things of you and so he's... Uh, challenged us already in his letter, the letter that James wrote about how to navigate trials biblically. How do we do that? Do we, do we find joy? Do we, do we grow in our faith? Do we understand there's a, there's a bigger picture at play? He's challenged us to control our tongue and the, the things we say and, and the way in which we say it to others. He's challenged us to be slow to anger. We've looked at all of these very challenging, very, very action-oriented callings already in the letter of James. I had some great conversations based on our sermon last week 
at our staff meeting on Tuesday, we sat around and we kind of uh, debriefed Sunday morning and talked through it a little bit. And there were several of our team members that had had conversations with various people. And I've had various conversations. And it's interesting because when you begin to study through the book of James, your, your, your faith is really challenged. But last week, James really challenged our salvation. And there's a phrase we looked at last week that your, your very souls are at stake. And we, we talked a lot about that and we just kind of worked through that again. And I had several people tell me they went home last week and really examined their own salvation. My response to that is fantastic. We should always be doing that. If you haven't really thought about your salvation or the grace that saved you or the faith that brought you to repentance, if you haven't thought about that stuff in a long time, maybe you should be thinking about it more often. Because the scripture is, is very clear that we need to work through our salvation and, and understand our salvation. And so the question usually comes up as we go through the book of James, and, and, and James is going to kind of delve into this more, and we're going to get deeper into this issue. But the, the question arises sometimes when we look at James because he's, he's so action-oriented and he's so works-oriented. Some people would say something like this, you know, is it possible... For me to be saved through my works, right? Can I do enough good things? Can I come in here enough on Sunday morning? Can I give enough to Lottie Moon? Can I, can I be kind enough to my neighbor? Can I do enough good things to be saved? Well, the very simple answer to that biblically is no. Your works will not save you, only your faith will. And so I want to I show you very quickly Ephesians 2. I, I love showing this verse to people. And working through this verse, the people, it's very clear. I just want to kind of answer that question about saved by faith versus saved by works again because James is going to double down on this. This isn't the first time we're going to see this, not the last time. We're going to think through this and really get into this as we work through this book. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And now verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so I've got a little phrase. I want to put it on the screen as well that may help you. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's salvation. Now here's the difficulty, right? And here's the, the, the kind of the tension we're going to think through even again this morning. You're only saved by your faith through the grace of Christ. That's it. But once you're saved, James and Paul and others throughout the New Testament then require of you to live your life a certain way, right? Their, their works, fruit is the way that Paul phrases it, that should demonstrate your true faith in Christ. And so if you wake up one morning and you don't have any works, you don't have any fruit, there's nothing in your life that, that tangibly demonstrates your faith in Christ, James would say to you, your, your soul is at stake, you need to take a step back and kind of re-examine what he says here. And so, so we use the word a lot of times when we think about Scripture as a, as a tension. There's this tension between the, the faith and the grace and salvation and the works that must be demonstrated because of that faith. We use Saturdays at our house oftentimes to clean, right? I mean, the week is crazy for us like it is for you, and our house kind of slowly spins out of control during the week. By Friday night, it's just, you know, there's stuff everywhere and dishes. And so we have a little time Saturday to clean up. Well, if my kids come to me in the middle of the Saturday cleanup and they say, Dad, I cleaned my room. 
And I, I walk up and I look at the room and it's like a disaster, like something just exploded in the middle of the room. I would probably at that moment assume they haven't actually cleaned their room, right? Because the, the works should prove that they've actually done what they've said they've done. Kind of like that with our, fa- with our salvation, with our faith in Christ. We should demonstrate our faith and our trust in Christ by the way that we live our lives. And so James is going to continue to challenge us. He's going to continue to call us into action. He's going to continue to call us to do great things. He's challenged us already. He's going to continue to challenge us today. So look with me if you would in James chapter 2, now beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen. You can follow along uh, in your Bible as well. My brothers, I love how James does this. Anytime James is going to hammer us with something hard, he tells us first, brothers. I love you, right? We're good friends, brothers. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place... While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now let's stop there for a second. Let's give you some truth. Then let's wade back through these verses to make sure we understand them. Here's the first truth. Now James is going to use the word partiality in verse 1. So that's the word I'm going to use. Then I'm going to define it for you. Number one, we should not show partiality because it contradicts the heart of God. We should not show partiality because it contradicts the heart of God. Pull verse 1 up for me if you would please. One of my brothers, show no partiality. Now the word partiality in this context literally means in the original language to receive someone according to their face. Isn't that an interesting word? And it has the idea behind it that we we shouldn't make determinations based on external circumstances. Right? You, you shouldn't look at another person and based on what you see only make some sort of determination. Now we use a lot of different words in our culture and in our context for partiality. We would use words like favoritism, bias, prejudice. Probably the word that most people use today is discrimination. We shouldn't choose to love one person simply based on the way they look and choose not to love another person simply based on the way they look. Now James here is talking specifically about the rich and the poor. 
That's because that was an important issue in the first century. That was an issue that people dealt with on a regular basis. It probably would have been pretty common for a wealthier person to walk in and at the very same time an impoverished person with absolutely nothing walk in. And the people of the church at that moment had to make a decision. And so James is speaking specifically about rich versus poor. But I would say to you, built into this argument and really built into the foundation of Scripture and the heart of God, which we're going to see in a second, is the idea that we we shouldn't discriminate against the rich or the poor. We shouldn't discriminate based on race or education or origin of birth. None of those things should cause us to make a distinction or show favoritism towards one person versus another. Very clear in Scripture. At the, at the heart of favoritism or discrimination or whatever words you want to use is the wrong belief that one person is better than another simply because of the color of his skin or the amount of money he makes or the place of birth. Now we all know, we all understand that these few verses in James, this is a, kind of a hot button topic in our society today. We're, we're all very aware of that. We understand that there are people in the country that would say that discrimination is as bad, it's worse than it's ever been. There are others who would say it's not a big deal. There are some who would be somewhere in the middle. Some people would say it's the media's fault. Some people would say it's the protesters' fault. Some people would blame, blame police. We could, we could sit here all day and argue and discuss and think through this idea of discrimination. But here's kind of where we need to settle in in our own lives and our own hearts. I don't know who's discriminating against other people. That's between them and the Lord. I don't know that in my own heart. I can't control those other people. But I can control myself. Right? And so here's what James wants us to know very simply. I want to be clear. If you have made a distinction in your heart or shown favoritism towards one person because of the color of their skin or they're from or their language, I want to be as clear as I possibly can. James says to us, that is sin. Period. And so as you kind of walk through your life, as you kind of make determinations in your heart, remember the Lord sees all. We're going to get to the heart here in just a few minutes because that's awfully important. You may be fooling the people around you, but you're not going to fool the Lord. And so James kind of warns us here in verse 4, right? He says, if you've done these things, if you've shown partiality, if you've kind of made a determination about one person versus the other based on any of these factors, if you've done these things, look at verse 4, pull it up for me. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Isn't that interesting? If, she, if you've shown partiality or favoritism or you kind of fill in the blank, James would say to you that you've become a judge and you've got evil thoughts or evil intentions. Now James has already given us kind of a, a list of tests and it's interesting when I read through different commentaries because different commentaries talk about the tests that James has shown us, the tests that we should use to examine our own lives, right? So as we read through the book of James, we should understand that these are ways in which we should test our faith. Are we doing these things? Are we living a certain way? So he's already kind of tested us in the way we face trials. Are we, are we doing it with joy? Are we growing in our walk? Are we interested in, in maturing our faith? James has tested us by the idea of, of anger last week and are we controlling our tongue and he's, he's showing us all these things we ought to be doing and how the action of our faith should be demonstrated in our lives. Now James is going to show us another test. 
And, and so as we, as we live our lives and as we kind of have our thought processes, as we kind of set our, our intentions and, and our attitude towards other people, we should ask this question. Are we treating one person better than another simply based on their appearance? James says we need to be careful there. The phrase we might use in our world today is, you don't judge a book by its cover. I grew up a, a, a sports fan. You've heard me talk about that. And I grew up an NBA fan. I loved basketball and I loved the Atlanta Hawks. Now, the NBA is, a, is the professional basketball league, and these are the best players, and they're, they're incredible. And, and I, I remember back in the 80s, I could probably name the starting lineup. Dominique Wilkins, you remember those guys? Doc Rivers, Tree Rollins, Kevin Willis. Remember those guys? Y'all remember those guys? I'm getting kind of blank stares. Two of you? One? Good. Greg, I want you to listen, because I'm with you right here. A few others. John, okay. Well, one of my favorite players, and if you guys know basketball, you're knowing where I'm, where I'm going with this. One of my favorite players for the Hawks was Spud Webb. There, there it is, right. So you're, you're, you're tracking me. Now, let me, I'm going to give you some facts about Spud Webb just for a second, okay? I like Spud a lot. I watched him play. I uh, had the opportunity to go with my dad multiple times to the Omni. That was back before Phillips Arena. It was the Omni. Man, I had the chance to sit on the floor sometimes and take pictures under the basket. Really cool. Here's Spud Webb. He played for the Hawks for six seasons. He was in the NBA for 13 seasons. Averaged almost 10 points a game, almost five assists per game. That's a good NBA career, by the way. If you even make it to the NBA, if somebody pays you money to play basketball, first of all, you've done pretty well. To make it to the NBA is the, is the premier league in all of the world. These are literally the, the best players. To play in the NBA for over 10 years, to average almost 10 points a game, that's a pretty impressive career. This guy did a, a lot of great things. You're like, so what? Spud Webb played to the Hawk. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Here, here's where I'm going with this. Spud Webb was five feet seven inches tall. I'm not kidding. You should look him up. I almost, I should have. I had, there's pictures of him standing beside these other guys. Like the, the average NBA star, I think is about six, eight, six, nine. So it's like, it's like a land of giants for this guy. This, this guy was kind of the normal dude, right? I mean, he was pretty close to where we are, about our size, about our build. You know, he, he looked a lot like we do. And he stands next to these giants, the, the most amazing thing about Spud, and I think why people just were endeared to him and, and loved him so much, he could dunk a basketball, which is pretty impressive for 5'7". Not only could he dunk a basketball, I mean, not many of us can dunk, right guys? I mean, you feel me? Not many people can. Spud could dunk 5'7". Not only could he dunk, he won the NBA slam dunk contest one year. Against some of the great, like Dominique Wilkins, it was he and Dominique in the finals. And if you ever saw Dominique, he was just this, this incredible specimen, man. Could jump out of the gym. Spud Webb, he won the NBA slam dunk contest. Now, I tell you that story because if, if you had looked at him, you never would have picked him for a basketball player. He looked like a normal guy. You never would have thought he would be good. You certainly never thought he could dunk a basketball or win the NBA slam dunk contest. We, we looked at him and we made distinctions. A lot of people, based on his size, there's no way he could possibly do this. Yet not only did, did he do it, not only did he make the NBA and play for a number of years, he, he excelled. See, here's, here's the problem. When we begin to, to judge a book by its cover, when we make distinctions, or we have preferences, or we discriminate, or whatever word you want to use, that's sinful. And the problem is, we can't see the heart of the person, can we? 
We make determination oftentimes by the things that our eyes see. We need to understand. Go back to that first point right there, right? We shouldn't show partiality because it contradicts the heart of God. At the very heart of God is this idea of love for all and not showing partiality. You understand that? In fact, if you were to study through Scripture, you would see example after example of the Lord showing no partiality. I'm just going to give you a few examples this morning just to kind of make this point. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial. 2 Chronicles 19.7 Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality. Peter says in Acts 10.34 Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Romans 2.11 For God shows no partiality. On and on the list goes. We we ask this question. Why would God not show partiality? Very simply because he created us all in his image. Did you know that? Let me ask that as a non-rhetorical question. He created us all in his image. Did you know that? That would mean you could say yes. Non-rhetorical you could answer yes. God created us in His image. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or where you're from or the language you speak. Or it, none of that matters to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord sees past all that and He sees the heart. I'm reminded of, of the incredible story of Samuel when, when he anointed King David. You may not remember the story in the Old Testament, but God said to Samuel, listen, you need to go and you're going to anoint the new king of Israel. Samuel didn't know who it was yet, but he sent him to this house and he said, listen, I want you to to look at all these brothers and I want you to make a determination about who's going to be the king and then I'm going to tell you who you should anoint. Now, David was the youngest, the smallest. He, In fact, he he was so uh, insignificant that they didn't even call him in for Samuel to look at. Right, they kind of do the lineup of the brothers and who's it going to be, who's Samuel going to pick. David is out in the field. And he gets through all the brothers and he's like, you know, it's none of these guys. Is there anybody else? And they're like, what, David? But it's not him. Well, bring him in. Let me see him, right? And, and the Lord says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, this is crucial to the understanding of the heart of the Lord and it's crucial to, to applying to our lives as we deal with other people. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance. Or in the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. Speaking of the brothers. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So you need to understand very clearly, when you discriminate or show partiality or whatever words you want to fill in, it contradicts the heart of God. That's not who God is. Now let's continue. Look at verse 8, James chapter 2. Let's continue through this thought process. So he's going to contrast now, right? The, the people that have shown partiality, they've, they've put the wealthy person down front, the poor person in the back, they've made distinctions, they've become judges with evil in their heart. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you commit adultery but do not murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
So we don't, contra- we don't show partiality because it contradicts the heart of God, number one. Here's truth, number two. We should not show partiality because it breaks the law of God. It contradicts his heart, first of all. It's not who he is. As believers, it's not who we should be. Secondly, it breaks the law of God. Now, I want you to notice in the first few verses there, beginning in verse 8 of this second section, James is going to use the word law multiple times. He's going to use it in verse 8. He's going to use it in verse 9. He's going to use it in verse 10. He's going to use it in verse 11. And so James wants us to understand in these few verses, there's something about partiality that relates to the law. Now, when we hear law, we think about our current laws. But remember, this thing wasn't written in our current context in our century. It was written in the first century. And so when the first century believers read about or heard about the law, they would immediately go back and think about the Old Testament law. Now you may not remember this, but as the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, the Lord called Moses and gave him the law. Part of that was the Ten Commandments and then the law that the people were supposed to follow. And it was this long set of things they were supposed to do. And the law, just just a side note here, what the people of Israel realized in a hurry was they could not fulfill the law. They continued to break the law. They continued to realize there was nothing they could do to to keep the law. And so the law itself pointed to their need for a Savior. There's no way we can keep this law. We need some help. The only thing we can do is rely on somebody else to forgive us of our sins. And so even the law of the Old Testament looked ahead and pointed ahead to Christ. But James speaks of something a little bit different. Bring up verse 8 if you would for me, please. James is not specifically here speaking of just the Old Testament law. There's a word he uses to help us understand that. If you really fulfill the royal law. See that? That's a different sort of a word. He's going to call it, call it the, the law of life later. And so we ask ourselves the question, what is the royal law? Well, most scholars, most theologians believe that it's the, it's the Old Testament law fulfilled and lived out through Christ. Right, so it's just Jesus taking the, the truth of the Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament at this moment had not been written It's Jesus taking the truth of the Old Testament and fulfilling it in his life. And so how how did Jesus kind of fulfill the law of the Old Testament? How did he live out the truth of the Old Testament? Well, there are a couple ways and examples we see that in the New Testament. I've got one of them for you I want you to see on the screen. Matthew 22. I want you to listen to these words. This is, this is crucial for our understanding of the law as fulfilled in Christ. And listen, just, let's translate this to our lives. This is not just some theological discussion about Christ living out the Old Testament law. It's an application of us taking what Christ did and how he lived and imposing it into our lives and living like Christ lived. Okay? So Jesus says in, in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, the Pharisees heard... Uh, They had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. And by the way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always trying to kind of trip up Jesus, catch him in some sort of a lie or trick him. And so they asked him, a lawyer asked him a question in verse 35, now 36. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Verse 37, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Now verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, listen, if you want to fulfill the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's Deuteronomy 6. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this kind of striking uh, comment in verse 40. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. Right? So all of the Old Testament, he says, could kind of be summarized and lived out by loving the Lord with all your heart and then loving your neighbor. So when Jesus speaks about the law and James speaks about the royal law, he's speaking about Christ fulfilling the law in his life. He's speaking of loving the Lord and loving others. Now, just a side note here because I'm going to apply this to you here in just a second. Just a side note, right? This is an action. It's not passive. As we love other people and as we love the Lord, that's not a passive thing we do. It's active. So Jesus kind of tells this story in Luke 10. We're not going to look at that this morning, but you may remember the story of the Good Samaritan where the guy's beaten up, you know, and the people pass him on the street and nobody stops him until finally this Samaritan has compassion on him. And Jesus answers the question about who do I love and who is my neighbor, and he says it's the one that showed him mercy. Jesus kind of takes this idea of the royal law and love for the Lord and love for others and he puts it into this story that helps us understand very simply. And this is where the rubber meets the road, right? We're called to love anybody we come in contact with. That's the law of the Lord. Do you understand that? That's the law of loving the Lord. It's the law of loving our neighbor, regardless of skin color, wealth, national origin. All of these things are set aside when we understand who Christ was and we see that we are called very simply in Christ to love those people, to not show favoritism, to live out the commandments of Christ in our lives demonstrated to others. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? So clear scripturally, so understandable scripturally, but very difficult to do. James says, you know, if you've decided that you're going to love the Lord, if you've decided that you're going to fulfill the commandments of the Lord, but you choose to break any of the law, you choose to to not listen or pay attention to what Christ says. You choose to kind of pick and choose how you're going to be a believer. And by the way, we're, we're good at doing that, right? Lord, I'm, I'm going to do these things because you call me to. But these areas of my life are kind of off limits to you. James says you need to be careful because if you've broken one, you've broken them all. So just to be clear before we finish this thing up this morning. If, if you've decided in your heart to show favoritism to choose one of the, of the other, if you've been racist or if you have discriminated or you kind of fill in the blank, even in your heart, James warns us. We're being sinful and we need to compare our lives to the truth of God's Word. Now, I need to finish up James 12 and 13. So speak and act as those who are judged or to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment here's the third truth we should not show partiality because we have been shown mercy by God we should not show partiality because we have been shown mercy by God. There's two things I want you to notice here this morning very quickly. The first is in verse 2 there. James says we need to speak and act 
as those who are judged under the law of liberty, right? Again, this is active. The way you speak to people, the way you act towards people, the way you live your life is active. James says you need to do these things. It points to action. But the second thing, and maybe the most important thing James wants us to see, because the Lord has shown you mercy and love and grace, when you were unlovable, He demands we treat others the same. I, like, I think James would say, how dare you make a determination in your life how you're going to treat this person when Christ has shown you so much mercy and so much grace and so much love. How dare we think we can look into the heart of a person and make a distinction when Christ has loved us so, so deeply. So I just want to encourage you this morning. I think this is a, a very hot button topic in our society. I think we get sucked into this sometimes if we're not careful. And, and any time we, we make determinations about kind of the, the political or the social or the popular landscape, we should always do it based on the truth of God's Word. And God very simply tells us that regardless of race or wealth or natural origin or whatever you want to think about there, we can't show favoritism. It contradicts the heart of God, it breaks the law of God, and it fails to remember the mercy that God has shown to us. God wants you to be active in your faith. He wants to use you to do great things. And maybe a very simple way of starting would be to love others in the same way that Christ loved you. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It is challenging. Uh, it's compelling. Lord, it reminds us that we should examine our hearts on a regular basis, Lord. We should examine our hearts for favoritism or partiality or discrimination or racism or whatever the word is, Father, we want to use there. And Lord, we should just be confronted with the truth that we're being sinful when we do that. Help us to live as, as Christ loved us. Father, help us to love people that are different than us. Help us not to, to break the heart of God or to contradict His law or forget the mercy and the grace He's shown to us. Instead, let us live our lives in the truth of God's Word with love and compassion and grace and mercy for everybody we meet. Because when we do that, Lord, not only does it honor You, but it brings You glory and Your kingdom is impacted. Father, may we make a difference this week in the way we treat others. May we impact the kingdom of the Lord simply because we're obedient to Your truth. Father, You use us to accomplish great things for you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. You can certainly pray where you are. You can pray here. You can come speak to me. This is your opportunity to respond in your heart to the truth of God's Word as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.